rescuer. The life of Moses. Interesting title that we that I chose when we put together this series, because there comes a time in every one of us in every one of our lives where we have a crisis of belief, whether we're going to believe God and adjust our lives to Him, because God will not adjust to you. Just so you know, that we believe and we adjust our lives to Him, or we decide we're going to do what we want to do and we miss it. We miss the life that God has intended for us and we just merely exist. I wrote this down and I want you to, I want you to go ahead and get your notes out because I want you to write this down too. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. I wrote this down this week because I want you to let this kind of resonate, marinate in, in your heart, marinate in your soul. God is so loving and so good, he will allow you to waste your life on yourself or he will invade your life with his scheme. That's an unusual word in it, scheme. We usually attach some kind of nefarious or bellicose behavior to scheme. Translate that to Texas, evil, bad, scheme. But really it is a plan, a schematic, a system he has for us. And we, he'll evade your life with this scheme and take you on the grand adventure of experiencing him. God will allow you to miss him or to experience him it really depends upon your decision, depends upon your choice. And that's the story of the life of Moses. Moses spent his life described by God and desired by God to be a rescuer. Now, Moses had some trouble. He made some decisions on the way that, that impeded him, and he made some decisions on the way that defined him. And I think we all do the same. Decisions that, that impede us and decisions that find, define us. And along the way, God is directing our path. Along the way, God was directing Moses' path. Listen to this out of Proverbs chapter 19, uh, 16, verse 9. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Boy, I found that to be true in my life. I decide I'm going to go this way, and I step, and then God has a whole new plan, a pathway that I didn't even understand, a pathway I didn't know. One day, a guy from West Texas who talks real slow called me and asked me, would I be willing to come to First Baptist Church Wimberley and preach that Sunday? That was Wyatt. It took you about five minutes to ask that. <laughs> Y'all know Wyatt, right? Love him, love him, love him. And I said, yes. And he said, why did you say yes? Shouldn't you pray about it? I said, no, I've already said yes. You see, I had made my plans, but the Lord directed my steps. Never in a million years would I found myself in Wimberley, Texas. I've been here one time, came, I think, uh, in 16, 2016. I told the first service it was Memorial Day. Actually, it wasn't. It was the 4th of July weekend. Tara and I met John, my son-in-law, his parents. We met them in Wimberley, and we went to Inos. And we, uh, we ate there, and it took us forever because everybody and their dog, literally their dog, was at Inos that fateful hot Saturday. Never did I think I would move to Wimberley. Never. You see, I make my plans, but God determines my steps. And on that way of following him and trusting him, that I, I've, I've had experiences I never could imagine, met people that have enriched my life that will really last until all eternity because God is busy. He's busy around me, and he's busy inviting me, and he's busy loving me, and he's busy doing the same thing for you. You see, every decision becomes a destiny. I choose to follow Jesus. I wish I could choose that for you. We'd just close up and say, okay, y'all, we're all going to follow Jesus, go home. But that ain't the way it is. 
You have to choose for yourself. All I could do is tell you my story. I will tell you Moses' story. So we look at his life, and over the last several weeks, we've been looking at his, his beginning. We've been looking at his God had that delivered him. We looked at his tenacity. We looked at his we looked at the symbolism of the book of Exodus, the symbolism of our spiritual journey, our spiritual life. We, we've looked at those things, and, and they've really defined us. But what about your story? This week, I read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You got to love Jesus to read through Le- uh, Leviticus, y'all. It's gummy. It's hard. You get bogged down in all the stuff you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. But in the story of Moses, I found my story, and I found your story. And I asked the question, how did Moses become Moses? What happened in him that produced this life of God through him? And how is God building you to be you and me to be me? I think you'll see some transferable principles. Now, we ain't got time for all of it because there's a lot of it, but we got time for a little bit of it, so I'm going to give it to you this morning, all right? All right, that's a few of you, so that's enough. So, Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you'll speak through me. They'll not be my opinions or my words, but, Father, your truth that will lead us to understand who you are and what you have desired for us. Thank you. Thank you for our online folks that are here. They're part of our family. And um, we just do something cool today, God. And we pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Miss Tara, my wife, she is out of town. She's visiting her sister uh, in, in North Carolina. Uh, she, uh, Elisa moved to where uh, Tara's brother moved up from Orlando, North Carolina, and Tara's sister lived on the western end of North Carolina and moved over to the east. So they're all together right now, so they're pretty excited, and, uh, and I'm missing them, and I am unsupervised. So y'all pray for me. Pray for my neighbors, okay? Actually, pray for all society that I am unsupervised, but uh, she's having a good time. She was watching online at the first gathering, and she's not now. So free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. But here's some things I want you to, in fact, our online uh, crowd is growing faster than any other, and uh, we're excited. Scott Tidwell's our pastor of our online campus, uh, Facebook campus. It's pretty exciting what God is doing for that, and we're going to throw more gas on that fire, see if we can get more people to join us online. Here's the first thing I want you to know that Moses was not defined by his brokenness. Moses was a mess. Moses was, he started off as a basket case, y'all. Some of y'all don't know that. That's bad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great joke. Born into slavery. In fact, here's some things I want you to understand. That we think that for 435 years, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. That's not true. They were not slaves for 435 years. They were only slaves when the Assyrians conquered Egypt. And they were slaves for about 100 years. That's still a long time, right? But until that time, they lived commingled with the Egyptians. And in in that commingling of the Egyptians, they became more Egyptian than they were Hebrew. They let the practices and the customs of Egypt erode into their lives, and they became what's called enculturated. And so they once worshiped the living God. Now they were worshiping all the gods of of Egypt. They were once dependent upon the living God. And now they were enculturated into the perversion and the practices of perversion in Egypt. But God did not forget them. And God has not forgotten you. You might have been enculturated into Texas. 
And you might have the, 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 the same kind of nuances of our culture, but God is calling you out of that. In fact, I had a conversation between gatherings, one of my dear friends uh, who's on our board, and he said, you know, Scott, we're not supposed to stand on the far right or the far left. We're supposed to stand in the middle loving everyone. Isn't that a good word? Loving everyone. By this you will know you're my disciples by your what? Your love. Your love. Not your political ideology, but your love. And so in this thought that Moses grew up in this, he was saved by Pharaoh's daughter, extracted from the Nile, placed into the the, uh, palace of Pharaoh where he grew up. And God was not wasting any of that. I put this on my Facebook this week that God's now is preparation for your next. That God has got you in a place now of preparing you for something he's got for you down the road. Boy, I see that just so evident in, in my life, every day in my life that God is using right now to prepare me for next. But you know what else God is using? He's using my right now to help somebody in their next. Because my life is not about me. It's not. That he's preparing me to be a rescuer, just like he's preparing you to be a rescuer. But Moses' life turned a broken turn when he took matters into his own hands. When he decided he was going to be God, his life went poof, and he became an exile. He became a criminal. Listen, Exodus 2, 11 and 12. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, their slavery. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. You see, Moses did this. He looked this way and he looked that way, but he never looked that way. And when we, our lives mess up, when we start looking around us for answers instead of looking upwards for answers. We look around us to see if anybody's looking when God is always looking. Do you know when you confess your sins, God doesn't go, what? (laughs) Did you know that? He already knows. So why don't you go ahead and tell him? You're not informing him. When you pray, do you think God's up there in heaven goes, slow down. (laughs) What was that again? No, he's got it. And so Moses took matters in his own hands and life in your own hands is a recipe for disaster. 40 years in the wilderness, exile, a murderer, can't go home, lives everything he knows and everyone he loves. You see, his decision became his destiny and his destiny was his exile. But in that destiny of exile, God was cooking up a divine encounter. And God invaded him. God appeared before a burning bush Y'all, you have to be a pretty bad person for God to get your attention through a dadgum burning bush. Just saying. He says, I must go see what this has done. And God says to Moses, I want you to be a rescuer. I want you to be the deliverer. I want you to let my people go. Come, God said, I will send you to Pharaoh, for you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Why not you? I'm a dumpster fire, God. That's right. What better way to destroy our trash than throw it in your dumpster fire? Hmm. 
The Lord said, but I'll be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He was standing on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And God said, you'll know it's me when you bring these people back. You mean all those years of plagues and sea splitting, he didn't really know it was God until he brought them back. You see, there was a turning point for Moses at Sinai the second time. You see, the first time was marked with a call. The second time was marked with a definition. This is who I am. This is who I am. We are broken people, but our God is not broken. He's not broken. And he is the deliverer. No matter the choices you've made or the mess you've become, God is able to rescue you, to restore you, and to use you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? One person believes that. That's good. He's able. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundant than we ever ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. I think one of our big problems is we don't ask and we don't believe big enough. Big enough. I was meeting with a guy this week and showed him some of our master plan of our campus and he goes, Man, this is a big vision. I said, yeah, well, we got a big God, and I believe our vision's really not big enough. Because God wants to bring all the world to himself, not just the Wimberley Valley. Some of y'all just went, huh? He does. You see, one thing I've learned about Moses that I learned about me, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And Moses finished on a sprint. Here's the second thing I want you to know how Moses became Moses that he believed God and obeyed God against all odds. He trusted and he obeyed. He believed God and he adjusted himself to God and he obeyed God. Over and over, Moses had to choose to trust and obey. Over and over. When they were standing at the Red Sea, he had to choose that God was going to, he's going to trust God was going to destroy the armies in front of him. He had to trust God that God was going to make a way through the sea. And when God opened the sea, he had to go through it. He had to obey it. He had to get up and go. He didn't say, oh God, you made a way through the sea, but we're going to stay here on the banks and let the Egyptians kill us. God said, you got to go. I love what Augustine said. He said, pray like everything depends upon God. Then move like everything depends upon you. I think that's a good word. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Watch what he does. Moses adjusted to God because God would never adjust to Moses. And so must we. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When we fail to believe God, God wants you to obey more than anything else. Oh, we gather here and we sing songs. 
You are good, good, oh. God says, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to obey me? Or are you just going to stand there with your hands up singing? You going to do what I ask you to do? You going to love people? You going to be my hope? You going to you going to rescue the broken? You going to care for the wounded? What are you, you going to do? Are you going to just say, "We are, you are good, good"? Ain't this good? Oh, are you going to live all for Jesus? What are you going to do? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Where are you not obeying God? I think a lot of you are like me. You say, well, if I just knew what to do, I'd do it. (laughs) God's already told you a bunch of stuff you ain't doing. It's like my wife is out of town. There's a whole bunch of stuff she told me to do. (laughs) And by Wednesday, it will be done. (laughs) Oh, goodness. But delayed obedience is disobedience. Except when it comes to Tara. It's just in time obedience. Right? And see, God's moving in our hearts and our lives. King Saul learned this the hard way. King Saul didn't do what God wanted him to do. And Samuel confronted him. Samuel said this. And Samuel said, has the Lord, has the Lord have, has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Yeah, God likes that. As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Hmm. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifices. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What was his commandments? Love. Greater love has no man than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. A new commandment I give you, love one another even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We used to sing a song back in youth group when I was with, with Moses and Aaron in youth group. And we would, we would uh, we'd sing that song about how God wants us to love each other. We'd sing, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everything is born of the Lord of God. And us, God, he loved not, not like God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. First John 3, 7 and 8. <laughs> wah, wah, right? And we were lying. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Where are you with all this? Are you obeying God with your resources, your giving? Are you obeying God with your mind, what you put in it, what you see, what you watch, what you do? Are you obeying God with your social media? Are you obeying God with your time? Are you obeying God in your parenting? Oh, here's one. Are you obeying God with your baptism? Oh, now preacher, you gone to meddling. I'm telling you what the word says. Uh, we're going to baptize in the creek. It's cool. It's real cool. <laughs> and it's really gorgeous. One of the most beautiful places in all the world. But there's power in that water as you go as a symbol of your believing in Christ. Why aren't you doing it? Sign up. Wyatt told me today we had three adults sign up in the first service to be baptized. In the first gathering, y'all, we're going to have to figure out how to get some of them in the water. We'll figure it out. You might just chunk them in and self-baptize them. But in the name of the Father. <laughs> Baptizing Christ. Good luck on the resurrection part. All right? Hmm. What are you doing? Moses became Moses by trusting and obeying. 
And so will you become you by trusting God and obeying him. Moses was resilient. Tara and I have had a lot of talks lately about resilience and about pastors being resilient. And what, what is this resilient? It means I'm not going to quit. I'm going to be courageous. I, in my book, Sifted Leadership, I, I write a chapter on church planting. I said, church planting is hard. The next chapter is on church revitalization. It says, church revitalization is harder. It's easier to give birth than to raise the dead, y'all. <laughs> and revitalizing a church. And you know what? This church is under revitalization. Did y'all know that? We're year two into a five-year process. Year two. Y'all say, it's going to get worse? It's going to get better. <laughs> Sound like my friend Joel Osteen. It's going to get better. Y'all just relax. But the truth is, God wants to revitalize us. And you've got to be resilient. Y'all, I talk to about probably ballpark 20 pastors a week that I'm, I'm talking to and coaching and encouraging. And I was talking to one, I was taking Terry to the airport and was on the, my truck phone and I was talking to him and we were talking about revitalizing his church and hung up and Terry says, he's not gonna do it. I said, what do you mean? He's not gonna do it. I said, what do you mean? He said, he's not courageous. He's not, gonna, he's not courageous. He's going to have to have courage. He's have to be resilient, but he's not doing it. Not resilient. I said, baby, help me understand what resilience is. Resilience is saying, I'm not going to give up. And it is a character muscle that is defined and refined in the fires of adversity. I will not quit. We talk about having six-pack abs. Well, I got one ab. You know, they talk about a six-pack. I got me a keg going here, y'all. <laughs> Party. Stop. Okay, all right. But, you know, I, I worry about my physique, but really I should worry about my character. My character. God wants me to build that muscle of resilience by saying, Lord, even though you kill me, I will serve you. Moses was resilient because Moses led a crazy bunch of people. They were cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, y'all. And every time Moses did something, they complained. They would worship and then they would complain. They would say, oh, thank you, God. And then they'd complain. Sound like he was a Baptist pastor. I mean, Moses, he delivers them through the Red Sea. He gives them rock out of the water and they were complaining. They're ready to stone him again. It's like, what is going on with this bunch? But it gets even better. In, in uh, the book of Numbers, I think it's Numbers. I want to make sure it's Numbers. Yeah, it is Numbers. Because um, I read all those books this week. Moses has an encounter with one of his cousins. And one of his cousins was a guy named Korah. And Korah got all stiff-necked because Aaron was the high priest and he wasn't. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, wrote about this account, said it's all nepotism. Korah was jealous because he felt like Moses was being... Uh, it was creating nepotism with, with Aaron being the high priest and Korah wanted to be the high priest. So Korah started an insurrection. Do y'all know what happens in most church plant, no, most church splits? Why churches divide and they split? Why there's division in the church? It's hardly ever theologic. It's always relational. Stupid mess that could be fixed. If people would just love each other, they let it go sideways. Korah, he pushes the envelope. This is what Korah says. 
Korah, the son of Esar, the son of Korath, son of Levi, and Dethan, and Aram, the son of Elab, and On, the son of Pethel, the son of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses. And a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, deacons and elders, as it were, chosen from the assembly, well-known men, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far for all in the congregation are holy. Every one of them. See, they took a relational thing and they tried to make it theological. And that's the deception of church division. They take a relational thing, usually jealousy, entitlement, elitism, racism, judgmentalism, and they try to make it theological. But it's their own sin. And you have gone too far, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and said, what? I'm sure Moses fell on his face. He said, God, I didn't ask for that dead gum bush to burn. I didn't want to go in front of Pharaoh. I didn't want to bring these people out. They could have died in Egypt for all I cared. And here I am, God, serving you. And these bunch of crazy people are trying to throw me out because they're jealous about Aaron. What's going on? God said, get up, Moses. Be resilient. Get up. Hitch up your britches. Because I'm going to do something. I'm going to establish something. And I'm going to do something to show that you're the leader. Moses had a difficult task because he was leading a disunified, rebellious, sinful people. Every generation that Moses led out of, the, out of Egypt, every one of them died in the wilderness. None of them went to the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. All of them died. When I talk to churches about revitalization, there are people in each church that will die in the wilderness and never experience the power and the promise of a revitalized church because they're stiff-necked and rebellious and they will die in the wilderness. Wow. I deal with churches all over America and God wants to bring a revival, but so many churches are dying in the wilderness and they're missing the power and the promise of God. Let's not be that church, okay? Ain't none of y'all supposed to die in the wilderness. Look at your neighbor right now and say, don't die in the wilderness. Coyotes will eat you. You see, the people were misled and they missed the promise. Let me tell you what happened. This is awesome. I read about Korah. Korah was given instruction that when Aaron, the high priest, when Aaron and his descendants packed up all the holy goods, the belongings in the temple, then Korah's people were supposed to come in and carry it away when they moved the tabernacle from place to place. Aaron's guys were to wrap it. Korah's people were to haul it. Korah wanted to wrap and haul it. He wanted all of it. And he felt, in, he felt insulted. What God said to, to, to Moses said, look, I don't want all Korah's people to die I want to preserve a generation for them. So you keep them away from the holy things because they're not supposed to be there. If they're there, I'll strike them dead. So God was giving instructions to protect Korah. Korah took matters in his own hands. He said, we're the holy people. So Moses said, okay, I'll tell you what to do. Y'all go do it. Y'all pack it up. See what happens. Y'all go ahead. 250 of them. 
Some of them were the tribe of Reuben, which weren't even supposed to be in the process because there weren't Levites. They were not obeying God. And so they went and they got their incense burners, 250 of them went into the tabernacle and God burned them all up with fire. <laughs> Crispy critters, y'all, gone. All that was left was smoldering incense burners, which God says, collect the remnants and create something. And you can read about that in the book of Numbers. And then God told Korah, come stand outside your tent. Moses told Korah, come stand outside your tent. All your little ones, all your belongings, all your people, come stand outside your tent. Korah said, no, we ain't going to do it. And Moses said, you better. So he came and stood out in front of his tent. And Moses said this, Lord, if I'm your leader and they're not, do something great. And so God opened up the ground and swallowed all the followers of Korah. Their tents, all their people, all their belongings, that he closed up the ground over them. What do you reckon the rest of the Hebrew people were going? <laughs> Moses, you're a <our> boy. <laughs> Moses 2020. Make Hebrew great again, you know? Sorry. Too easy. But you know what they did? The very next day, the Bible says they complained against Moses. Idiots. Idiots. So God sends a plague among them. And you know what Moses did? Moses said, go ahead, God, kill them all. Just kill them all. No, he, he begged for God to stop the plague. And he sent Aaron out to stop the plague. 14,000 people died in the plague. Because Moses was resilient. He never gave up. I can't imagine going against that kind of insurrection. But I faced it before. I faced it here with division and disunity and lies and innuendos. But resilience honors God. If you choose to live all for Jesus, you can expect adversity. It will come. There are three, four things that kept them out of the promised land. Let me read for you. It said in 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under this cloud that passed through the sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food that was manna and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That was the rock that Moses struck and called water out of. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And here's what they did. Do not be, desire to be idolaters as some of them were. For it is written, the people sat down and ate and they rose up to, to drink and to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. When 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. For they were destroyed by serpents. Nor, what's that word? What's that word? Hmm as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the destroyer. I'm looking at the church today in North America and our church here. Most of us aren't idolaters. Most of us are not immoral. If we are, we sneak around. Nobody really knows it. Just saying. Most of us aren't putting God to test. But you know what? There's some grumbling going on. What y'all think? Huh. Moses stayed faithful when everything else was falling apart. 
He was resilient, and God wants you to be the same. If we are to become the church that God desires, we must be resilient. We must stand together, and we only stand by the strength of God. This morning, online, Arturo from Colorado, pastor there. I'm going to help his church in, in, uh, in June, in the June. Mario, Costa Rica. Oswaldo from New York and also from Costa Rica. They were all in line. Nelson from Colombia, part of our family. Do y'all know that in the last six months through the efforts of our Building Leaders Network, we have helped train over 1,700 pastors in Central America and Cuba? Yeah. There are 400 more waiting in Nicaragua. Oswaldo told me that he had 100 more in Costa Rica. Are we going to try to train all the daggum pastors in Central America? Yes. All for Jesus. Are we going to do it or am I going to do it? We are. We are. All for Jesus. We must be resilient. And we must be together. Here's the last thing. Moses became Moses by desiring God above everything else. Everything else. This is like Moses' last sermon. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. That you and your offspring may live, may live the loving God, live loving the Lord your God obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. You see, your life is defined by what you desire. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Trust also in him, and he will do it, and he will make your righteousness shine like the new day, it says in Psalm 37. Paul said it this way, brothers, I don't consider my, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Paul at the end of his life says to Timothy, Hey, buddy, I finished the race. I kept the course. I held firm to the faith. I stretched my tape and I broke it in victory. And I take that crown of righteousness that the Lord has given to me and right before he sets it on my head, I take it and I put it at his feet. And I say, all for you, Jesus. All for you. All for you. Because every decision becomes a destiny. God is so loving and so good that he will allow you to waste your life on yourself or he will invade your life with his scheme and take you on a grand adventure of experiencing him. In 1991, I did a study called Experiencing God. Have you all ever done Experiencing God? Raise your hand. Yeah, a few of you. Great study. In fact, it was a, it was a study that really changed a lot of us because we learned to adjust to God, to, to trust in him. Um, God was in the middle of my life. I was on staff at First Baptist Church Pasadena 
And uh, I was the minister of music and youth there. I mean, music, excuse me, not youth, just music. 300 voice choir, orchestra, the whole deal, big church. And God was working on my heart to plant a church. And I found my notebook and I was reading. I was reading through it. And, and I made a decision while I was doing that that I was going to live all for Jesus. And I wrote that my deepest desire, Lord, is to spend the rest of my life living all for you. Not much has changed. And it's been a great adventure. Am I perfect? Answer that. No, not even close. But is God good? I'm broken, but God is not broken. And he invited me into this life of experiencing him. And he invites you to the same thing. And you know what he calls us? Rescuers. That's why we chose the name for this series, Rescuers, to see that God used Moses and he'll use you to let my people go and find freedom. But you have to choose. I'm not a big dream guy or interpreter dream guy, but I had a crazy dream this week. Y'all want to hear it? So, you know, typical dream, the things are kind of fuzzy, but things are kind of clear, that Tara and I were going to meet a bunch of people at a picnic at a beautiful lake. It, it had to be in Wimberley because the water was just gorgeous, crystal clear. I looked at that lake and I wanted to go fishing. And I told Tara, drop me off at the corner and let me fish around to where everybody is on the dock. She goes, no, you're Pastor Scott. You got to go make an appearance. You got to go say, hi, how you doing? Hi, hi, God bless you, God bless you. And I want to go fishing. God bless you. Leave me alone. I'll go fish. Leave me alone. So begrudgingly, I went onto this dock. And everyone was standing on the dock, and they were looking over in the water. And I walked in and said, what y'all doing? They said, well, so-and-so's fell in the, the, the water here. They called somebody's name. I can't remember it. They said, they're down at the bottom there, and we're waiting on you to come get them. I said, y'all got to be Baptist, waiting on a preacher to come get them. They're, they're down there in the water. They said, Pastor Scott, can you rescue them? I said, okay. So I remember taking off my shoes and my shirt, and I dove in the water, and I swam down. They were sitting on the bottom waiting on me. <laughs> sitting waiting on me. I grabbed them and pushed them to the surface. They swam up to the surface. Somebody got them, pulled them out, and I looked under the dock, and there was three more people under the dock sitting there waiting. I swam over and got them and got them and got them. Then I woke up. I went, what the heck is that about? What the heck is that about? I think I know. I think I know. The people drowning. Their pastors drowning. And their churches are drowning. And their communities are drowning. And their cities are drowning. And their states are drowning. Their nations are drowning. The only thing that will save El Salvador is the Savior. The only thing that will turn Guatemala is the God of the ages. The only thing that will change Honduras is the most high exalted one, King Jesus. The only thing that will bring Costa Rica to Christ is Christ. The only thing that will change Wimberley is King Jesus. The only thing that will change you is him. Every decision becomes a destiny. I choose 
to follow Jesus. What about you?